and your Amsasia podcast. Yo, pick your red up because things ain't that bad. Maybe you should switch the target that you're aiming at. Believe perfection is a beast that they'll never catch. So never waste another day because life moves so fast. And a dream without pursuing, yo, they never last. Another shadow of regret I try to never cast. And always tell a truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hello, this is the eighth episode of the Endurance Asia podcast, and this week we've got Thaddeus Lawrence. Thaddeus is a keynote speaker, he's a business coach, he's also the author of a book called Runaway Success, which is based on his uh, achieving the Four Desert series, which is one of the toughest endurance uh, endurance competitions in in the world it covers the the coldest windiest windiest and uh, driest and hottest deserts uh, across the uh, across the world and um, he comes on today really to um, to share a lot around uh, around how he thinks about goal setting and actually he was a big inspiration and an influencer in terms of us getting the endurance asia podcast up and up and running and uh i i've just every time i meet with thaddeus i'm always uh, just uh, thrive off of his energy and and positivity and, and enthusiasm and always come away learning something new and feeling feeling enlightened so i hope you do too um we'd also like to dedicate the episode to gabby belcher the wife of, of lloyd belcher one of the top adventure photographers in in the asia pacific region she very very sadly passed away just a, a week ago and um, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of outpouring of um, of love and support from the from the ultra running community and the endurance community and um, yeah may that continue there's a there's a, a, a go funding page go get funding.com and uh, the and, and help Lloyd and, and Gabby and Anya um, we will share the link on our on our Facebook page and other socials but please come out and support and there is a memorial service going on on the 27th of July uh, in Hong Kong at the Vine Center so um, you can uh, you can find out more information on on Lloyd Belcher visuals.com but uh, but yeah please come out and, and support this um, this family that have been synonymous with the with the ultra running and endurance community in in asia so without further ado mr thaddeus lawrence like the truthful story if they ever ask stop the complaining because things ain't that bad thaddeus lawrence welcome to the endurance asia podcast thank it's you very much scott and being welcome to your home as well yes it's very good to to have you over um you are actually sort of one of the, I suppose, big influencers for me actually getting this podcast started. Uh, I don't know if you remember us meeting in, uh, meeting in my office. We've, we met every sort of three to six months. And actually, I was telling you about I wanted to do this. And you gave me some great ideas for it, gave me a list of people I should speak to. And uh, it's kind of about two years later that I've actually yeah. pulled my finger up. <laughs> I know we talked about it for quite a while. 
quite a while, right? And then it was on the the last time that I was in the office about six months ago. And I'm like, okay, Scott, we're gonna do this, or you're not gonna do this. Absolutely, <laughs> like stop fucking about. If you're gonna do it, like give yourself a time frame, and then you were, then you actually from that point, I like went online and bought all the equipment i like made appointments to sort stuff out and like (laughs) and then you were like you have to put a deadline on it because otherwise you're just always going to talk about it and never actually get it done and uh and then you did give me a deadline of the end of the year or i gave myself it um and didn't quite meet it but still it got my ass in gear so yeah it was it was kick butt time right it was the okay great you know we're gonna get done okay i think you were traveling somewhere And, uh, and you say you're going to look up some equipment. I mean, say, okay, great. You know, so what equipment are you going to look, look at? By when you're going to be purchasing equipment? And I remember telling you the story about, you know, how I got my book written uh, as well, because I had um, talked about writing a book. Uh, so this was, well, this is back in, um, gosh, uh, so, so after I did the Sahara race, right, there was um, in, in, in the second half of 2009. And I told myself, hey, great, you know, what a great experience. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to get this book out by, um, by Christmas 2009. And then Christmas 2009 came and Christmas 2009 went and there was no book. And I convinced myself, I said, well, hey, look, you know, you've only done one race. Why didn't you do the next race first so you can get the more material? There's a lot more content, right? Uh, and the uh, early 2010, I was going to do the Gobi. And so I told myself, okay, great. So middle of year uh, 2010, I'm going to get the book out. And middle of year 2010 came and it went and there was no book. And of course, you know, I had a, a justification and excuse for it. I said, okay, that's because you're going to be doing Antarctica at the end of this year. And oh my gosh, you're going to write a book. You've got to have Antarctica in there. <laughs> so we'll get the book out for Christmas 2010. And so Antarctica came and went. Christmas 2010 came and went and there was still no book. And once again, the you know, justification, you know, I convinced myself that, well, I was going to do the four deserts. So how can you write a book based on the completion of only three deserts? Right? You've, you've, you've got to get the fourth desert. And so, of course, the timeline was reset. It was going to be middle 2011. I would get the book out. And uh, of course, it came and it went. There was still no book. And finally, I sat myself down and said, look, listen, are you going to write a book or you're not going to write a book? Right? If you're going to write a book, get it done already. And if you're not going to write one, that's okay too. But stop talking about it. Yeah. Right? Because one thing I find is that, you know, we make these agreements with ourselves, right? We, and to, to, to set a plan or a timeline or wanting to do something is an agreement with ourselves. And, and every time we break an agreement with ourselves, we know it. Yeah. And it hurts us. Right? It actually chips away a little bit of our, our self-concept, our, our self-image. And, and so I had that agreement then. I said, look, listen. That's it. Christmas 2011. If no book comes out at Christmas 2011, you're never going to talk about a book anymore. And you know what the beautiful thing was? I set aside time. Uh, I remember this was over uh, August, you know, that year. And 90% of the book was written over a 10-week period. Right? Uh, and, you know, two, 2011 Christmas, there was a book yes. that came out. I remember I was sharing this with you. Uh, yeah. in your office uh, six months ago and I said look listen so are you going to do this podcast or are you not going to do this podcast are you going to yeah. do it get it done if not let's not talk about this anymore right we've been talking about it for like two years or thereabouts yeah it's, it's amazing how you um, when, when you talk about something it's a bit like uh, there's a guy called Derek Sivers and I'm not sure if I used this analogy when we were discussing before he is 
he was like a, a tech entrepreneur, um, but really, uh, yeah, really in, impressive guy. And he, he has this concept around not voicing your goals. Mm-hmm. So he did a, a TED kind, talk on that. Didn't he, he did a TED talk on mm-hmm. it, yeah, and it's like a reverse psychology. And the way he looks at it, if you say to someone, "Hey, I'm going to run a marathon," and then you get that kind of dopamine effect of actually feeling like you've achieved something just by someone saying, "Great, good on you. Yeah, you're going to do a marathon," and then that doesn't actually set the everything you need to do to achieve it. It just gives you that sense of achievement without having done anything. Mm. So. Saying you're going to train for a marathon may be slightly different, but but his concept is don't voice your goals, keep them internally, and then you'll hold yourself more accountable to them. Mm. There's two trails of thought. Mm. You know, there's other things like if you do voice them, other people will hold you accountable, which in this case, mm. you, you've done. <laughs> and, uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, interesting way to sort of uh, to look at goal setting. Um, and actually, one of the reasons that I wanted to, to bring you on the podcast, partly because you're an inspiration for me, me starting it, but also because you're, I, I think there's a real great correlation between um, being an endurance athlete or, um, you know, being interested in being good at it and being good at within your professional career. And you've been a successful endurance athlete completing the four deserts and we'll get into that but then you you're also one of the the top business coaches in uh in singapore and, and across the region so i'm really interested to sort of um to dig into that and and actually on that i'm interested in how when you're coaching people you think about coaching around goal setting and how you make people accountable and make uh, across their entire careers not just uh, with one specific project they're working on mm, yeah because you know ultra endurance racing I, I i use it as a metaphor for life right our, our life is one long ultra endurance race right uh, and the the principles and the the processes for success in an ultra endurance race a physical ultra endurance race are the same kind of processes or mental processes we go through and the same kind of principles that we, we apply to success in, in life slash work slash business. And so it, it's a very fitting uh, metaphor, I find, because just, just like in a physical race, the race of life, you know, every day we need to get up and do it all over again. Uh, every day, you know, week, month or, or year, we're expected to get stronger and, and stronger. And as the days and years wear on, we expected to get closer to a finishing line right, that we set. But the, the only problem is that a lot of people are going through lives. Uh, they wake up and they don't necessarily want to do it all over again. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, we call it the Monday blues. We call it a you know, midlife crisis. We call it a whatever. But we, don't, we just don't want to get up and we don't want to do it all over again. Uh, and people do go through their lives not necessarily getting stronger and stronger. Uh, and they're certainly not necessarily getting closer to the finishing line. A lot of people don't even know what the finishing line uh, looks like, yeah. right? Um, you know, they don't necessarily know what they want in life or they don't even know what, you know, that, that success that they are working towards and, and what that looks like. So, you know, it's the same way that you get up, you know, in the middle of a desert in a race, kind of going, oh, God, you know, seriously? Like, 
why? You know, why, why did I do this? And, you know, where's the finishing line going to be today? You know, and what, what's going to take me there? Um, so I, I love using it, um, you know, especially certainly when I'm giving my, my keynote speeches and, mm. you know, conferences or events and, you know, whether it be sales teams or, or to leadership uh, teams, it's, it's a very powerful uh, metaphor that everyone can relate with, whether they run or they do not run. It's interesting you say that because I've just finished um, reading a book, Great by Choice, um, by Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. Mm-hmm. Have you read Good to Great? I've um, Good to Great, but uh, not uh, Great by Choice. So Great mm-hmm. by Choice is actually his fourth book. So he's got uh, um, Good to Great and Built to Last, and there's another one, and then Great by Choice. But interestingly, so what it looks at is um, is two comparison companies that, and one that's grown 10x of the other based upon the same environment, same industry. An example, so there's seven companies and then seven comparisons. And it has like Microsoft and then Apple is the comparison that's, that it, Microsoft does 10x of Apple. Um, this is before, this is, and the year is from 70 to 2002. Fascinating book, really. It's just as good as good to great. There's some mm. really great um, parts of it. But in that book, there is around three or four times that he he relates certain business situations to an endurance athlete or, or, or mountaineer, one of them being uh, Amundsen, who's the, uh, who's the first guy to get to Antarctica. Antarctica, yeah, and, Norwegian. And be, right? like, yeah. Everyone mm-hmm. thinks of Scott of the Antarctica, yeah. but actually he was the one that mm-hmm. didn't make it back. Obviously he made it to the, um, to the South Pole after Amundsen, but then didn't, didn't survive. And it just talked around... Um, the, the sort of planning and and how um, and the sort of dedication around it, but it used um, one of the analogies that has in the book is it talks about um, the um, the twenty mile march or something it calls. But essentially, every day, regardless of the conditions, they would do seventeen miles to twenty miles every day, regardless of the conditions. If the conditions were amazing, mm. they wouldn't go, okay, we'll do 30 miles today. They would like every day, keeping that consistent movement every day meant that they could, um, you know, they could keep on planning forward, wouldn't push themselves mm. too hard in, the, uh, in good times or wouldn't, um, or wouldn't just hunker down when the weather was bad. They would still push on through regardless. Mm. And it uses that, and, and that correlates across these seven companies which outperformed their competitors by 10x correlates very so an example being um you know when like when the market is great they use southwest airlines as an example that the markets were great they um and they were getting invited to open up new cities all around the u.s but they were based in texas they were like let we're just going to focus on our core stick to what we know and won't expand too quickly whereas their competitors all were like right okay let's open up all these new mm. routes and then as soon as like deregulation here or whether or 9-11, whatever it was, mm-hmm. they were immediately had to like close down flights, close down routes. Whereas Southwest Airlines didn't have one year of non-profitability in the sort of 25 years, which in an erratic industry like the airline industry is a perfect example. And they used this sort of like 20 mile march of just continuing doing mm. the same thing every day, every day. And, and, I, and, and you use the word there, consistency. Yeah. Right? Of that, right? Regardless, come rain or shine or snow, you're, you're, you're churning out the 20 mile march yeah. every single day. And Armisen, uh, it talked about there was only five days out of the 40 or something where they were truly snowed in. Mm. But every day, even in bad weather, they dragged themselves through. Mm. Uh, and then there's another analogy in the book where it talks about 
Um, sorry to get deep. I've literally just finished the book. Yeah, so I'm like, yeah. um, where it talks about David Breshers, who was uh, an amazing mountaineer. He was uh, on Everest in 96 when, uh, when there was the huge catastrophe the tragedy, yeah. into thin air. Um, mm. John Krakow wrote about. And it talked about they were actually on the way to the summit. And then they saw that he just had a bad feeling about it. And, uh, and he saw loads of people up on the mountain and was just like, they ha- they're obviously filming the IMAX Everest movie. And they just thought, if they get stuck in a traffic jam or anything, there's just too much risk around it. So they decided to come down. And then people were seeing him on the way up. Like, why are you coming down? The conditions are perfect. And then he was just, something doesn't feel right. And, uh, and it talks about uh, productive paranoia. Productive uh, paranoia. Yeah, so like he was just, he, things didn't feel right. He was a bit worried about stuff, so they decided to retreat. Um, and obviously everyone knows the story of, you know, nine or nine people pass away. There's a massive rescue and two of the top guides and mountaineers passed away in the um, hall and Fisher. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it, uh, and my point being is it's just fascinating the way that there's so many correlations between businesses mm. uh, or business, running business and endurance sports and mountaineering etc yeah and and this thing that you, you brought on consistency and I'm, I'm finding it in in the way that my own business grows and and i'm seeing it in some of the people whom i'm coaching is uh so last year i climbed a couple of mountains in kazakhstan and kyrgyzstan and at the end of those climbs we were you know back in 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 camp and awaiting our our trip back to the city and then on to home and one of our guides was, uh, he had his little boy, his son there uh, in the camp, and he was teaching him uh, archery, which is one of the national sports uh, in, in Kazakhstan. And I was watching them, and I thought, hey, I, fancy, I fancy a crack at this as well. And I went to, I said, hey, could, could, you, could you teach me how to you know, uh, shoot as well? Um, archery, and I said, okay, great. You know, so he taught me the basics of it and, and how it works and everything else. And then, uh, and then he retreated to you know a few paces behind, sat in the shade and drinking his whatever cool lemonade. And, and I was just sitting there practicing. And at once every so often, you know, I would hear behind me, he'd go, "Oh, that! Oh, good job! Good job! Oh, great shot! Great shot! Oh, well done! Well done!" And after a while, I thought, "Mate, are you taking the piss?" Right? Because none of so imagine you've got this big board, right? Uh, target board, and then on the target. Uh, board is this A A4 sheet of paper with you know all the rings uh, that's drawn on this A A4 sheet of paper, and all 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 my arrows were missing. Not just the target; they were missing the sheet of paper. They were, and some of them were like they were all in a far corner of the board, right? And I was like, "What's up with him going? It's a great shot and well done." <laughs> so I turned around and said. Mate, come on, you're having a laugh, right? You know, what's this with great shot? I said, I'm not even hitting the, the piece of paper, never mind the target, never mind bullseye. And he got up and he said, whoa, 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 whoa. hang on, hang on. He said, you got to understand something. Okay, watch, watch this. He said, look, yes, it's true that you're missing the bullseye and the target, but notice, notice all your arrows are landing in this general area of the board. And he says, that's a good thing. And in fact, that's a very hard thing to do. You see, you see because you could, you could hit you bullseye could now, but then with your very next arrow, if you miss the bot, that, that was yeah. luck, that was fluke. You didn't know what you were doing. But everything, you have this consistency of all your arrows landing. And you know, he says, we've got a saying here in, 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 in Kazakhstan when it comes to archery, he says, if you're consistent the way that you are, the target will appear. Mm. Right now, 
part of mm. me believed him. There was mm. part of me that still wanted to engineer a few bullseyes, mm. right? And but what I discovered was that each time I overthought it, or each time the more I tried to engineer it, um, my shots got even worse. Mm. Right? The arrow would miss the board completely or the arrow would just fall from my hand you know, on, onto the ground in front of me. But it was the moments where I just it got into this, this flow of just aim, poof, poof, poof. It, that's what happened. And I'm seeing that with you know, some of the people who I'm coaching now who want to make a transition you know, from being in a full-time job to say becoming a full-time coach. And initially there's been this kind of, um, yeah, I'm not getting the clients, you know, I'm not getting better at what I do. And, and I'm just exhorting, I'm saying, just hang in there, right? Be congruent mm-hmm. in terms of who you are as a person. Mm. Right, because this is, I mean, I, I take the field of, of self-development um, very seriously in the sense that, you know, we, we, we cannot be in a business of self-development if we're not developing ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And I say, you know, practice stay, what you preach. Practice right? what you yeah. preach. And in fact, you only get to preach what you're already practicing, mm. right? Um, so, you know, you got to hang in there in terms of, of, of the values in which you, you hold yourself, you got to be consistent in terms of your practice and the target will appear. And it's hard to believe that in the beginning, right? Because you're not seeing the visible results. Mm-hmm. But then when the results come, maybe you can go like, wow, how did that happen? Well, that's exactly it, right? Consistency, 20 miles every day, 20 miles every day, you get to the pool. Yeah, yeah. Uh- there's actually an hearing you talk about that is there's another another really great analogy in the book and it talks about actually the most successful companies aren't necessarily the most innovative because you you know you hear the saying like innovate or die is uh, um, and actually they found that of the seven cases I think only two of them were more innovative than their comparison companies who were least successful and this analogy is going to stick with me forever and he talks about the um, using the um, uh, bullets than cannonballs. I don't, have you ever heard this analogy before? Mm-mm. Okay, so it, it uses the analogy like, okay, you're in a, like a ship at a war with another ship, and then rather than, and you're, you're limited to the, your last bit of gunpowder. And so rather than just put all the gunpowder and fire that cannonball and hope to sink it, you actually use a little bit of the gunpowder, use a gun, shoot a bullet, and then, okay, you work out, okay, we, we, we missed the boat but you recalibrate it and then you, okay, you've missed again. Third shot, bang, you hit the, uh, you hit the, uh, the ship, you load the rest of the gunpowder into the cannon, boom, you sink it. Mm. And to taking this analogy into business, you, it, it's about shoot, like shooting bullets, trialing projects, trialing products, doing pilots, and then when you have enough data or info to know that it's gonna work, load everything behind it mm. and go hard and, and and I'm just hearing you talk about it then with the uh, with archery. the bow and arrow mm. and the archery um, it can also be kind of the same in your in your personal career as well if like yeah, if you want to be a coach well carry on doing your normal job and then maybe just take on one or two clients obviously do the courses and then and see how it goes and see how they develop and mm. then if you know that you've got the skill to do it, then put everything behind it. Right. But don't automatically just leave your job. Like, that would be like me leaving my job and just go, right, I'm going to do podcasting for a career. I don't know if I'll make any money, but uh, this is a passion project, right? But, um, but you know what? Like, if it does work, and this is like, a, it could be a, it could be a um, 
you know, it could end up being a cannonball for me in the future. There we go, right? But, uh, yeah. yeah. This, this is a million dollar conversation in the making. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't know, my wife would be like, no, you're not giving up work. Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, fascinating. So I'm interested to get into your, your backstory as well in terms of you obviously got to, um, got to get through the four deserts, which is one of the toughest, the toughest sort of endurance series in the world and you did it started when you're 37 and what was like the key instigator for you because you prior to that point hadn't really been an endurance athlete so to speak he wasn't really a trail runner no yeah didn't didn't do much running uh apart unless you count running for the bus you know <laughs> uh or running from the odd bully in school uh but yeah wasn't into you know, the outdoors, into adventure, into running or extreme sports uh, by any stretch of imagination all the way, you know, through through my school life. Although I had been exposed, you know, um, to to the Marathon de Sable. That was the first race that came into my consciousness of this world of long-distance, multi-day ultra-endurance racing. And um, I, I remember, you know, each time I read about it in you know, the Sunday Times magazine or watched it on uh, Discovery Channel, I would, uh, I'd be fascinated. Uh, but even, even though, you know, I wasn't going to kind of put on a pair of shoes and head off to the, to the desert, but I was really fascinated by, by these people, you know, um, what, what got them to do it, number one, and number two, what keeps them at it because it's excruciating. Mm-hmm. It's not a walk in a park. Uh, there's, there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of suffering. There's a lot of, you know, um, um, not very pretty things happening to your feet, uh, but but they still came back for more. And and particularly, I was very fascinated about how um, how I would have responded in in that kind of situations, right? Where you know you have your seventeenth blister on on your foot, and you know five toenails disappearing, and you know you're walking around with a limp. You know, would, would I keep going? And um, and oftentimes we hear about these these stories of. Uh, the, the the triumph of the human spirit and that desire for survival, right? In in, in, in mountaineering and and that 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 book. And I'm still trying to figure out how many hours it is. Is it 136 hours or 127 hours? Or, I've got the book. You, you've down got the there. book. Yeah, yeah. Carry on talking. <laughs> it's, it's it's quite a few days anyway, right? Of this chap who who got caught in 127 hours. 127 hours. There you go. Right. Um, the title of book and also. Uh, uh, a movie and uh, yeah being caught between a rock and, and a hard place literally and uh, for, for, for our listeners who are not familiar with this uh, this guy who went you know down to the Kenyans you know fell down and had his arm wedged between a rock and, and a rock wall and uh, tried everything they could to, to dislodge his, himself or to wriggle out and nothing worked and finally, out of sheer desperation or desire to, to, to live, he took out this old pen knife that he, that he had and began you know, the <laughs> just excruciating process of hacking away at his arm. And this, 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 this wasn't a hacksaw, this wasn't a sharp knife. It, it was something that, you know, I think like a butter knife, you know, in, in effect. But he had to hack away and chip away at bone and his sinews oh. and ligaments and tendons and finally freed himself, right, um, from his arm and, and certain death and survived. And then when I saw that movie and read that book, I just, one of the questions I asked myself was, you know, what would you have done? You know, would your, 
your hunger for life have been so strong that you would have done whatever it took, which is exactly what he did, did whatever he took for him to survive. And, uh, but it's one of those questions you ask where it's, it's impossible to answer, mm. right? You, you can theorize, you can you know, make it hypothetical and, and analyze, but as um, you know, Mike Tyson, you know, the, the former boxer, had a famous quote, he said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah, that's a brilliant quote, isn't it? Right. Um, and, um, but, you know, I wasn't going to... Did know, you read that book then? I, I forget I read when the this, book. Was, this was one of your, yeah. one of your inspirations. Yeah, I read, yeah I, read, I read that book and then watched the movie, but the book was, well, I felt was better than, than the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, um, I interestingly had a similar experience uh, reading Touching the Void, uh, the Joe Simpson book mm. uh, about climbing the Peruvian Alps and him shattering his knee, uh, his knee, his lower leg going up through the knee socket into his into his femur and uh and his um friend obviously lowering him down and him hanging over a precipice and having to cut the rope um he falls deep into a crevasse everyone mm. knows the story but um uh, and then his friend getting climbing down and seeing the crevasse and going there's no way he survived that but but him having to lower himself down further into the crevasse, mm. into the deep abyss, mm. not knowing where, what was down there on. These crevasses can go down to the bottom, to the centre of the earth near enough. And, he, uh, and then climbing out in excruciating pain. And I, I had a similar thing, like, what would I have done in that situation? And, yeah, you never really know. And I think for me it was a bit that I read that back in 2003 and was a, definitely a a, a, a nucleus for me about being passionate about mountaineering about endurance sports in general and finding out where my limits are I hope never to be in that exact situation yeah. <laughs> or uh, or Aaron Ralston's yeah. situation in yeah. the in between a rock and a hard place yeah we could simulate it right by engaging in a, in, in a race or an adventure race or a triathlon or uh, and, and and kind of put ourselves into into a testing environment uh, but I don't think we want to be kind of literally, you know, in a crevasse or, or stuck in a canyon all on our own just yeah. to just to answer that question. I think I, I'm not that curious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you, um, yeah, you you signed up to the um, Sahara race. So the Sahara was mm-hmm. the first one, and mm. uh, and yeah, what was the what was the major sort of like instigator for you to to sign up? Yeah, so the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, we were talking about me having been exposed to the Marathon de Sable, and mm. you know, I was fascinated by these people, and and at the back of my mind, there was something in me that said, you know, maybe one day I'd, I'd do a race like that, right? But of course, you know, maybe one day has got all the you know, commitment and, and, and clarity, right? So, so th- th- that's where it remained, right? Maybe one day I'd do it. And then, um, you know, back in 2008, I was going to get married. And, uh, and the short of it was that she called everything off. And, you know, six months of kind of grieving and healing and crying like a baby and, you know, a bunch of introspection and reflection. One of the questions I asked myself actually was, you know, in the three and a half years that we've been together, did I... Did I live life to the fullest, right? Or was I, you know, sacrificing my lifestyle for for this relationship? And um, and round about that time, again, I think it was a, a, a newspaper article of someone who had completed a, a desert race came in came in front of me, and I thought, oh, you know what, sort this. You know, maybe, maybe rather than one day, I, maybe I'll, I'll do this race. Um, 
and I'll do it before I turn 40. And I was 36 then. And I said, well, I'll, I'll do it before I turn 40. And almost immediately, another voice in my head kind of came out and go, oh, come on, right? If you're going to do it, do it already. And I thought, yeah, that's true. So, um, so I set the goal of, of the next year uh, in 2009 when I uh, did the Sahara race. So that, that was that. I wouldn't say it was the, the reason why or the cause for me to start running, uh, but certainly that breakup was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, and then one thing led to another, and before you knew it, um, you know, four deserts. Yeah, yeah, and obviously we talked out at the beginning of the conversation about how you wanted to write a book, and you thought after the the Sahara, and then almost, it's a bit like when you're... Um, when you're studying for exams, you know, you put the deadline you want in this book, but say when you, uh, an example being when you're studying for an exam and your house is never as clean as when you've like got a deadline. <laughs> uh-huh. It's like you're, you know, everywhere's spotless and you will do everything, you know, to put off actually doing the task uh-huh. at hand. So, uh-huh. uh, which in a way, so it can be quite productive and the fact that it got you to do all the four deserts right, to, yeah. uh, before you um, got to write in the book. But, um, but yeah, it's... Uh, what sort of was that the main thing that took you from doing the did you do the first one and then go hold on a second i think i've got it in me to to do all of these and check all of these yeah i think initially i just wanted to do the one uh to experience it and um and then it came on the long stage in the sahara race you see all all, all the races the um the formats about the same it so it's a multi-stage race and what that means is that um so for the first four days or the first four stages you you know we're running about you know equivalent about a marathon yeah and after you've done four days four days of that they have what they call the long day which is like a double marathon yeah Right. Obviously, someone's got a sense of humor in terms of how they design <laughs> Leave it the to race. The last yeah, day, yeah, right. Um, and for most, and then after once you're done with that long stage, the the final stage is you know if 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 you complete the long stage, you're pretty much done. Home and right? dry. You're home and dry because the final stage is like a very short, ten kilometers if you like, or thereabouts to to the finishing line. And uh, and I remember, and we still laugh about this myself and um, Samantha. Uh, uh, Fanshawe who's the CEO of Racing the Planet and um, and she was manning that, that checkpoint that overnight checkpoint in a long stage and I think I was the only one there at that particular point in time I was laying down she said look why don't you just lay down for to st- stretch out and just to rest for a little bit you're doing good on time uh, and just to chill a little bit right? Get some uh, are the cutoffs pretty tough? Um, they are very generous yeah. they are very very generous I mean yeah. there are people who miss the cutoff there are people who who pull out um, you know if you're going really really slow or you know typically you know encumbered by some kind of you know illness or injury yeah. or dehydration or exhaustion but generally uh, you but can generally, like march them home you can march them home you yeah. can um, uh, and some people do, do do that you know it's almost you know they do they don't do any running but it's just pure power 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 walk right mm. uh then the entire thing and uh, so it's possible even though you know i think on, on typically on a race you have about 15 percent who mm. who missed the cutoff mm. right uh and so i was i was in a good place at that time on the night and there i was lying in the middle of sahara desert looking out to millions of skies and sam was saitting next to me and out of nowhere i went sam when is the atacama <laughs> <laughs> We just burst out laughing. She goes like, you know what, Thaddeus, finish the Sahara first. Get this done first. <laughs> and then uh, we'll talk about the next race at the end. But, I, you know, by that time, I made up my mind. Hey, I knew I was going to be doing If you're in, like, the toughest 
stage of like a really tough race and you're already thinking about the next race you're doing it yeah you know? exactly. there's no way you're not <laughs> going to finish yeah. um and then so the atacama was the was the next one was it um so it, it, it goes so how it worked out for me in that that calendar was um it turned out the gobi was the next one for me did you do it all them all within a calendar year or, um, or 18 months bridge okay, 18 yeah, months yeah because yeah. there is a mm-hmm. sort of there is a goal to to knock them all four off yeah in, they call it the, the grand slam the right? grand knock slam it off in one but calendar, because yours yeah. bridged a year it didn't yeah. count and i think and at that time when yeah because i started off in in, mm. in the last race of of that year which was a sahara race so it you know didn't count so yeah but that was all right huh? but you did four <laughs> consecutively yeah well, they, you did four you did four yeah. so it kind of kind of, kind of fish right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah in my mind yeah i slammed it yeah um i'm actually interested and part of this part of this podcast is around like suffering and survival and uh and i mean the the achievement of you of you finishing the the four deserts is a is amazing like you it must be one of the proudest moments of your career which is one thing i want to ask you later reading your book there was one thing i picked up on and it was actually in the uh the antarctica one so the the format of that race is yeah so for the other hot deserts uh, essentially, the the format is you have a particular uh, course or distance to run, and it's up to you how long you take, as long as you keep in ahead of the cutoff time. Yeah. In Antarctica, for a variety of reasons, first of all, all visitors to Antarctica, whether you are tourists on a cruise ship or you are a scientist, you know, headed for a research station or you are, you know, a trail runner heading on for for a race, you're bound by the Antarctic Treaty. And a big part of the Antarctic Treaty is about wildlife and environment protection. And so to limit our impact on, on the continent, and also for safety reasons, because they're crevasses, you know, and, and we're not um, um, kitted out, right, mm-hmm. in, ter- in terms of, you know, ropes or anything that would help us in a crevasse uh, rescue situation. Uh, it, the course was designed in such a way whereby you're running in loops, and and so therefore you're in this case in, in Antarctica you're given X number of hours in a day and it's up to you how many loops that you complete during the day and then your uh then the, the, your distance is then accumulated, right, to determine who's run the furthest in that shortest in that amount same amount of time mm-hmm. to determine the winner. Mm-hmm. So uh, it wasn't as much fun, mm-hmm. uh, I would say, because uh, you know, some of the loops were as small as like two kilometers. And, you know, I don't care how slow you think you go, but if you have like, you know, 15 hour a day, there's a lot of two kilometer loops that you can complete uh, in that time. Right. You get, get a bit loopy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a different loop every day though. Yeah. It's a different loop every day. It's a different loop every day. Uh, But having a full day, just running the same loop was, you know, I had a sense, you know, there was one point I thought, ah, this is what a hamster must feel like, (laughs) (laughs) but not really going anywhere. It's, it's something that I, uh, like Jerry Chu, who, who you know as well, she does a lot of, she's done a lot of races where it's just going around in the same, the same loop. And I always just find it totally tedious, but actually psychologically, it's good to be able to do a race like that, where mm. if you know you can, you can go around in circles for that amount of time, you know, if you, you can go yeah. from point to point and yeah. that sort of distance. And, and for that reason, I don't train on treadmills. I just find it painful yeah, right way. i'm just on that piece of rubber you know i i, I can't handle that it's 
You know? I mean, for me, the whole thing is about being in the outdoors. So yes. Like, yeah, spending the time indoors in a treadmill. Yes, and breathing in fresh air rather than air-conditioned, you yeah. know, recycled air-conditioned air. Yeah, yeah huge difference. Totally with you. Um, but uh, going back to the uh, Antarctica um, race, the, there is a, like a, a big day in the Antarctica one as well, isn't there? There's a, there's a penultimate day where it's a, you go a lot further, is there? Yeah, or? well, the Antarctic one, I mean, the year that was there was quite interesting because every, every day the race was cut short because there was a blizzard uh, ah. that, that was blowing in, yeah. right? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think a lot of the races uh, in Antarctica don't go according to what was planned yeah. simply because we're subject to the vagaries of, sure. uh, of, of the weather. Right, such as uh, the nature of you know polar you know desert. Yeah, yeah. Because um, just re- reading your book, there was um, there was one of the days where you um, I thought you were sort of lagging behind, going a bit slower, and then the the front women were there was three mm. women that were all mm-hmm. in the same way, and on one of the laps round, mm. you sort of like latched onto the back and just like marched on with them and kept kept the pace with them for the entire yeah. rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that day. Oh my gosh! Um, look, first of all, I live in Singapore, right? Uh, and you know, when people say, "How did you train for Antarctica?" I said, "Look, I just go to my kitchen, I open up the freezer compartment, I stick my head in there, right? That's about as closest as I could could get to to Antarctica." And uh, and I have you know next to nothing type of experience in in moving on on snow and ice, right? Uh, and so going out there. On that particular day, the snow and ice oh, was just stunning. This place, I think, yeah, it just felt like a virgin land that we were we were entering, and just pristine, white, and and just oh, just beautiful, and um, and 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 but it came out to about our knee level, and so, you know, it made sense that the the best way to move was to follow in the footsteps of the person in front of you, right? Uh, which is exactly what happened. The moment the race kicked off, once the first person had stepped across the start line, every person formed a line, right behind. So over over the course of the day, the course of the race was formed. Yeah. Right. We are all walking each other's footsteps, and then slowly this you know narrow trench uh, began to form. And according to race, so you know the first the you know the slow ones will get lapped, right? The people in front and race etiquette demands that when you know you're about to be lapped, that you step out of yeah. that course, that trench into the snow and ice for them to pass and then step back in again. Mm-hmm. And there were times, Scott, where I felt I was doing more stepping out and in than I was actually moving forward. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's and and for that particular day, three quarters of it was just up, 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 and then we get to this point that's above the the stop start. Uh, line and then it's a steep, steep down. drop down yeah. and then it's up 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 again and the up is just oh god you know it's you know one step up two step backwards right just just and i was trying to do it alone and you know people were lapping me and it was just i couldn't catch up with you know the next slowest person in order to to tra- traverse this together mm. um it was just painful and i just thought oh my gosh how long will this go on for and then at one point you know, I thought, I know, I've got a brilliant idea. The next people that come around, I'm going to jump back straight in after them and kind of hang on to their coattails as much as I can, right? Use their pace to drive some kind of momentum for myself. And of course, they'll power on ahead, but at least, you know, I've, I've got some kind of attraction going on and, and that, that allows me to, to move and at least establish some kind of consistent pace. And so when, when I turned around, I saw these three, you know, leading ladies a race, and I seen them in, in, in previous, uh, previ- previous um, 
runs and uh, you know they were neck and neck and I thought okay great this is this is my chance right so I'm, go- I'm gonna wait for them to get by and I'm gonna jump in uh, and that's exactly what I did right jumped in and I, was, I just had one goal in mind I'm just gonna follow them for one loop just keep at them for one loop right uh, and there'll be there'll be an achievement so I got past the start line I was like one loop I thought, oh my gosh you know this kind of virtual pen on the back well done well done well done right and I went with them on the second loop and thought, I'm doing well, I'm doing well here. And, you know, all I can see is, is down this trench and that pair of feet in front of me. And the moment that that left foot left its, its place, my left foot would be in there. And the right foot, once it left, my right foot. I'm so close, I'm literally hit-butting their backpack, right, behind. And, and there was one point where I think I got a bit over-eager. Like, I went in before their foot took off and this little lady in front of me, she came tumbling down. Into it. She was just cursing and swearing under her breath, like, what's going on here? And I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And all I could think of was, thank God I'm wearing balaclava and goggles. Like, she wouldn't <laughs> recognize me, right? <laughs> and I'm helping her up to, to her feet, and she's cursing and muttering under her breath. I'm like, sorry, sorry. Uh, but I'm, I'm still not going to be falling back, right? I'm, I'm keeping up with, with them. And then I lost track of time, you know. At one point, we crossed the start line again. I heard a volunteer shout like, this is your last lap, this is your last lap. And I looked up and I thought, what's going on, right? It's, it's blue skies, it's a beautiful day. You know, they can't be cutting short the race again because of a blizzard. Yeah. And then and I looked at my watch and, you know, I've been following the ladies nonstop for a good seven hours. Wow. That's yeah, and and it's interesting. You could have jumped on the back of anyone that had gone past yeah. you, but you happened to uh, happened to jump on the female leaders. Female leaders, or, right? Um, yeah. And you know, in front of every successful man, there are three women. Yeah, <laughs> was one thing. So we crossed the finishing line, and um, and we were getting hot food, getting our medals, getting hugs. I went up to um, uh, Sam, um, another Sam, right? uh, and she was the lady who I tripped up, and I said, "Hey, Sam." You know, first of all, um, you know, this was my best day of racing like, ever in all the races. And, um, and I want to thank you right, uh, for letting me kind of hang on to your tailcoats. And, and, you know, you basically helped, you know, pacing you know, me throughout the, this entire race. And uh, also, you know, hands up, you know, I, it was me who had tripped <laughs> you up, right? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but thank you. You know, I had amazing thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and then Sam turned to me, he goes like, no, you know, Thaddeus, thank you. Say you, you don't understand. Uh, this too was one of my best days of racing, and I did you know exceptionally good time. Uh, thanks to you breathing down my neck <laughs> <laughs> and being literally a pain in my ass. <laughs> uh, I was trying to get away from you, you know. And, and we had a great laugh, and, and we shared that. And it really brought to the fore um, the nature of competition because when we look at the meaning of the word compete, it actually means to strive together. Is that really the... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To strive together. Yeah. You know, it's not I win, you lose, or you win, I lose. You know, it's, it's, it's really to strive together. Yeah. Um, and, um, and that, that just um, kind of embodied yeah. you know, the, the meaning of, of, of competition for me, you know, on, on that day. It was just, just wonderful and beautiful. And, you know, this is African proverb, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together, right? And that, that was certainly true for me. And that, that's what I'm, again, bringing that lesson into life for me and my business. My next stage of my business uh, is to build a team right? yeah. uh, and to do this work together, right? Have people who are, 
who, who have a shared mission, who are aligned in terms of our values. Uh, and let's go up there and do a lot of good work together. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And we, we were talking before the podcast started just about some of the pivotal moments in your career. And you shared some like really personal sto- stories about um, when you grow up, your, your parents split up and then your, your wife and your mum married um, an English guy and moved mm. to the UK and you mm. brought up by your grandparents. So you saw your mum going to the UK when you were seven and then you, your, um, your, your grandmother sort of brought you up and you sort mm-hmm. of worshipped her and she very unfortunately passed away when she was 13. And, and then you also talked about your, um, your wife as well, or wife-to-be. And, the, and so there was like three occasions and I was hearing you tell me that story beforehand and I was sort of thinking of the metaphor from that to the three women passing you oh on the Oh my gosh, wow. And then you'd be like, right, I'm not going to let them go. Wow. I never, wow, thank you. I never saw it that way. Uh, And it was just hearing, it made me think of that part in the book. I don't know uh, whether that, yeah, there's anything behind that. I do, wow. uh, um, Yeah, I found that quite interesting. Um, One thing I'm really keen to hear from you is because when I talk about, um, you know, suffering and survive, I actually really like to talk about DNFs Mm. because I think uh, you learn more from them than you do your successes. And uh, and I know you've taken on you know obviously on the four deserts, but mm. I think was it was the it Tour de Yeah, that's like one of the toughest races yeah. in the world, right? Three hundred and twenty-eight kilometers. Three hundred thirty with a total altitude climb of twenty-four thousand meters. Oh. It's um, it's yeah, it's it's the equivalent of it's like going up Mount Everest and back down again three times in six days. Right, in terms of its altitude, that was crazy, and that that was inspired by Jerry Chua, whom you've got another podcast. Like she's she's my hero, right? Uh, and she did that the year before I went for that race, and that was a race that I had a DNF. Uh, and oh my gosh, that was oh, God dear, what was I thinking? Uh, it was the toughest. Um, oh, it was an animal uh, that race. I, I remember, um, you know, for 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 it really attracted the. The crime de la crime I found, you know, of, of, of trail running athletes. And, um, you know, that year that I did it, uh, there were about 600 people at uh, the start line. I remember going the night before they had a, you know, a pasta party come briefing, right? And you collect all your, your, you know, you deposit your gear and you collect whatever it is that you need. And I was looking around that, that hall and thinking, holy shit, and like, what have I gotten myself into? Like the, these people didn't just wander off, you know, the high street. I thought, you know, what, I'm going to knock off a, you know, a, a trail run. These are people who are top of the game, like real athletes. And, um, and the weather was just poor that year. And I recall doing the, 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 the pre-race briefing and it was hosted by these two Italian guys. They, you know, one of them spoke a, spoke a smattering of English, but most of the whole briefing was done in, um, in Italian. And it got to this part on, on the weather conditions, right? And, you know, in true Italian fashion, you know, there's a lot of gesticulating and, and loud voices. And there was a lot of murmurings that was going around, you know, in, in the hallway, in the hall as well. Because they had, um, I, think, I think half of the slots were Italian uh, runners and then a, a, a huge majority from the rest of um, uh, um, Europe. And... Uh, and I was thinking, well, what's going on? What's, what's he saying that's attracting this kind of reaction, right, among the runners? <laughs> and then the English-speaking guy came out. He says, okay, okay, let me put it across to you. Those of you who didn't understand what he was talking, he says, this is the weather. How, how can I say this? Okay, the weather for this next few days, it's going to be fucking cold. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that you were thinking of bringing or wearing, 
uh, on this race, make sure you bring and you wear two times, three times more. I'm serious. This is a mountains. People die, right? This is the Alps, right? Uh, you know, we don't want you to die. So, you know, you got you got to go and repack. Okay, this is it's gonna be fucking cold. Right? And I thought, oh, what? Seriously? <laughs> and um, so it was back to packing and repacking. And you know, when we started off that day, the next day, you know, umbrellas were out. Everyone had their their um, wet weather gear out, and it was. You know, just raining, it was foggy, and we were standing up packed in, in coal mayo. And of course, all the, the inhabitants of the town had come out to send us off. There was music blaring, there was a, an MC on the mic, and there were cowbells you know, ringing. There was a huge din, right? And you get swept up by, by, by the sounds and the environment and the significance of, oh my gosh, you know, day one, we're going to kick this off. Um, and the moment you get flagged off, you're doing basically a loop around the town and then you head off into the hills. And it's, I mean, the loop around the time is a, it's like a five, seven minute loop. And then poof, reality sinks in, right? Bang, you know, you're going uphill. And within an hour going up, um, I, I, see, I see a fellow Singaporean, right? Who was on the side guy and he was, you know, stuffing bread in, into his mouth and I stopped and asking, I said, hey, you know, are, are you okay? And it's like, it's like, fuck, you know, I'm, I'm too cold. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get food down me to get the blood flowing. You know, I can't feel my fingers. I thought, holy shit. It's going right. to be a long couple it's of days. It's going to be a long couple of days. And oh my gosh, was it long. Uh, uh, I think by by the end of the first day, there were close to about 100 people who had pulled out already. Uh, out of how many starters? Out of 600. Yeah. You know, and I think by the end of the second day, about 150. Yeah. I remember getting into that checkpoint um, the end of the first day um i couldn't i couldn't fathom i couldn't visualize i couldn't even figure out what six days would look like feel like you know never mind visualize success and i I just couldn't my my body everything about me was i just felt like i've completed the full race like you know that that day one and night has just taken everything out of me and i just even mentally couldn't even fathom look ahead to what day three or four, never mind the finishing line, would look like. Uh, and when I walked out of that checkpoint that night, um, I was looking at the, the weather charts and the next pass that we're going to get to, it had a wind chill of minus seven. Uh, and I thought, well, hang on, I signed up, this is August? Was it August or September? I was like, this is supposed to be autumn. <laughs> I knew we were going up to the mountains, but I didn't, I didn't account for a minus seven and a wind chill. Right? And it was mad. And, and that, that second leg of it, um, look, this was just a brutal race. I was falling, not just tripping over, I was falling flat out onto my face and slipping and landing out on my rucksack on my back. Um, and in that second leg of it, I was kind of middle of nowhere. And my two sets of gloves, you know, my fingers had gone from feeling cold to feeling um, numb to now feeling pain, right? And that's like an early, early sign of frostbite. frostbite. Yeah. I think, oh my God, what's going on? And, um, and I was on my own. I thought, okay, look, I, I need, I'm learning my lessons from Antarctica, right? I think I got to find someone, a runner, and, and kind of get together with them. And, um, and I was struggling to catch up with this person who had overtaken me a bit early on, and I could make out her, her flashlight. And I was like, okay, I got to keep up with her. And at one point, I stopped and thought, maybe I should, you know, wait for the other people to catch up and then go with that group. And I looked behind me, I could see, you know, the whole mountain, just this string of headlamps. But the next person was just miles away. I thought, oh no, I can't wait for this person. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try to at least keep this person in front of me in my sight. 
And as we as, as as we were around this band, you know, I could see uh, in the distance this light of a mountain hut, and I knew that was going to be a, a, a some kind of a stop checkpoint. And I told myself, okay, if she goes in there, I'll go in there, right? If she powers on, I will power on because I've got some kind of momentum going on. I, I you know I don't want to let my muscles get cold. But she approached the light, you know, she went in. I thought, okay, <laughs> I'm going in as well, and I'll get myself a cup of a bowl of hot soup. And when I went in through the doors, it was walking into like some kind of POW camp or something. <laughs> the place, this is small mountain hut. The place was packed to the rafters. There must have been, I don't know, 60, 70 runners in there. And everyone, I mean, Scott, you know, everyone was, there were, there were a couple of benches. They were all full. Everyone was on the floor all the way through to the toilet, right? Just packed shoulder to shoulder, right? Trying to keep warm. And I went in there. When I first went in there, I thought, okay, I'll get in there, get a bowl of hot soup, and then I'll head back out. When I went in there, I saw them. I thought, I ain't going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> if, if there's that many people camping out, they're doing it for exactly, a Exactly, right? Yeah. You know, and a lot of them are locals, and they must know something that I don't know. Yeah. And um, unbeknownst to me at that point, there was a suspension in the race because of the weather conditions. Mm. So anyone who, you know, even if I wanted to, I wouldn't have been allowed out, you know, of, of their hut. So... You know, I must have spent about two hours there. I think I got in about, I don't know, three, four o'clock in the morning. And then the first light, you know, I heard a shout outside. Um, and everyone started kitting up. And I thought, okay, I guess we're all heading out then. The first light, I hit it out and the place was white. You know, it snow, uh, it snowed oh, in the last wow. couple of hours and it's white. And Lucky it's like, they did call that. could have been pretty treacherous that out could there have been for treacherous. anyone. Yeah, yeah. Totally, because you know, immediately it was, it was up onto this pass and that took a couple of hours. By the time I got to the top of the pass, coming down on the other side, I mean, the sun was up in the sky, but um, it was icy, people were falling. And when I had gone down on the other side into kind of greener pastures, you know, I saw a helicopter you know, above me. And I thought, hey, you know, TV crews, you know, put on a smile, you know, like, come on, leg it, brother. You know? That's it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to look good for this. And a helicopter went past me, but I could still hear it. And I thought, it's hovering around for quite a bit. And I looked up at the pass and they were airlifting someone off uh, the top of the pass. So it was just, just yeah. treacherous, like crazy, crazy, yeah. crazy. And crazy. at what point, so where did you get to after that point? Um, day four, yeah. day four, you know, um, and we were at, um, at this point where, I mean, the play, I mean, I was up to my ankles and even my lower calves in water. It was like a swampland and, you know, a mix of swampland and, and big boulders, like really slippery. Uh, and I was in the middle of nowhere and there was this Italian uh, runner who overtook me. And as he overtook me, we exchanged a few words and he was like, yeah, I live around here. You know, I, I come and run around here. And he was like, you know, you got to take care of yourself. It's, it's terrible weather. It's never like that, you know, but don't worry, you know, when we get to the top here, there's going to be a checkpoint, right? Uh, and you can rest in there and can get something warm. And like, okay, great, great, great. You know? uh, and then he powered on ahead. And then not too long after, uh, I overtook him. And when I overtook him, he was actually standing talking to another runner. Right? And, they were, and you know, they were you know, engaged in, in Italian and there was no way I could join a conversation. I was like, well, I'll just keep going. And then when they were done with that conversation, he came and overtook me again. And I stopped and I said, what happened? Who, who's the other guy? Where did he come from? Where is he? He said, no, he, had, he was ahead of us at that checkpoint and then decided that he was going to call it a day and was heading back. And I said, well, why is he heading back? Number one, he says, well, it's, you know, the conditions are, are worse up there where we're heading off to. And this guy is deciding, look, 
you know, he'll live to fight another day. It's not worth uh, his effort. It's not worth his life. And he's going to head back, you know, to, to where there's a road access and then call it a day. Mm-hmm. And this is where the first thoughts of me, you know, withdrawing, you know, started to take root. And I was thinking, like, these, these guys are, you know, they are peak performers and they don't, they don't make these decisions lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, obviously there's a lot of thought process uh, involved. They know what they're doing. And I'm thinking, you know, should I turn back? as well and I thought well you know what let me get to that checkpoint and we got into this this hut container hut uh, what was distance was that at? oh um, I think we're about halfway through now okay yeah about, so like 170 yeah. or something yeah now. about halfway through and um, and there was a crowd of runners and there was a mountain guard there addressing them and when I went in you know he was what he was saying was basically look listen if you guys want to continue on hit make sure you're not doing it alone go with somebody mm-hmm. okay um, it's going to after this, it's going to be more dangerous than what you just experienced coming out here. Mm. So if you want to turn around, this is the time to turn around. Okay, if you want to move forward, don't move forward alone. Mm. Right? People are like, but what the condition? What's the weather? He says, like, I have no idea, but it will get worse. Mm. Right after this. And that's where I thought, oh, you know what? You made the call. That's it. I'm, I'm going home, right? Uh, but I'll get some hot soup first. And I took my foot, I went into the inner room and I came across these two Malaysians. Right? And they're like, hey, brother, you're rich, really? Come, 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 come. Hey, come, makan, makan, which is to eat, right? Come, come. And then we go, we continue. And I'm like, no, guys, I'm, I'm done. They're like, no, cannot, you, cannot, you cannot give up, you cannot give up. Come, come. We go together, we go together. You know, bole, bole. Right? The, the battle cry of Malaysia, Malaysian bole, right? Bole, Ken, yeah. right? And I'm like, no, guys. They're like, no, come, 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 come. We go together. I was like, oh, my God, seriously, guys. <laughs> And then I got swept up right by the euphoria. I was like, okay, fine, you know, we'll we'll go on a little bit more. And um, so we went off, and again, you know, I had a couple more close calls, you know, like really, really st- uh, steep falls and and and, and slips. And um, that next checkpoint, right? We needed to be in and out of the checkpoint by three o'clock. And um, and we got to this, you know, kind of intermediate point. I, I looked at my watch. And it was um, one thirty. All right, uh, and uh, they're pretty strict cutoffs. As oh, well, the, the oh, these ones here are very strict. Once, yeah. once, if you're not out, that's it. You're out, right? So they are very, very. Uh, there's very little room for maneuver. So they don't. They weren't even adjusted, uh, even though the conditions were more treacherous. All right. So I guess that preserves the integrity of that race. Um, so we had about what two more kilometers to go by our estimation to to that checkpoint, and it was you know we had about an hour and a half. You know you could do that easily, no problem, yeah. right? But then not long after that, I realized that you know I I was slowing down. I was falling a lot more. I was feeling more tight. The pains were a lot more. Well, I felt the pains a lot more, and I I stopped. I checked in on myself. I was like, what's going on here? Right, you you can knock up two kilometers in an, an hour and a half. You would make the cutoff easy, and that's when I realized that, you know, the body was able, but the spirit was no longer willing. Yeah. You know, because oftentimes it's the other way yeah. around, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's where I knew I'm done. Yeah. That's when I'm done, and it took me in the rest of the hour and a half to come to terms and to make peace, uh, with my decision. Uh, and so when I went in to that checkpoint and saw the guys it was all about 2.45 thereabouts I'm like that's it guns I'm done and interestingly so it took you an hour to make Mm. peace of it like Mm. did you fully make peace of it there and then do you know what Um, 
So after Alta was done, I, I called it a day, and then they closed the checkpoint, right? Because um, you know, no more runners were coming in, and um, you know, I fell asleep, and I was um, well. I had I had a glimpse into good old Italian kind of family, you know, hospitality, because all the volunteers came in, and you know, they cooked up this pasta storm, and they had red wine and everything else, and and so you know, they transported me back down to I think one of the lower. Uh, checkpoints and then from there back into town and I guess you know it was a, a few more hours before I got back into town and um, and I checked back into my hotel and then I turned on my phone for the first time and uh, I got I got a whatsapp message from my mum right who was in, in the UK and it was one of those you know mum to son type of messages I love you I'm very proud of your type messages she would have been dot watching the whole way as well right well yeah well yeah, she would have done, but she wouldn't have known that I uh, had so, so I So I messaged her. I said, how do you know, mom? And she goes, know what? I said, know that I had, um, you know, withdrawn. She goes, no, I didn't know that. I said, oh, well, what, what made you, you know, send me? She goes, I don't know, I came into work. I just thought of you. I had this feeling um, and this urge to send you a message. And that's why I sent you that message. I said, well, you know, I've, um, you know, I've withdrawn. You know, it's, uh, I'm done with the race now. And then she, her next message just, you know, sent me into tears. And, and she, she wrote, she said, look, knowing you, you know, when you're up against the wall like that, the easier thing for you to have done would have been to meet the cutoff and to continue running. And, and knowing you, you, you would have completed the race. And so for you to have made the decision to withdraw yourself was a lot more difficult and took a lot more courage from you to do that. And I just said, I just went, I actually remember you posting about this on uh, on Facebook as well. This would have been two thousand and fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, I wrote a quite a long post on it. On, yeah, on, on Facebook. Yeah. But um, but and so do you? Because actually, that was called a sort of. You haven't done any like major races since then. Not have since you? then. So yeah. You you must kind of be at peace with it, right? Yeah, I think that was when I knew I had healed. Yeah. From you know, what got me running in the first place, yeah. you know, that whole running away, yeah. right? Um, I, I wasn't running away anymore, yeah. right? Um, I, or at least I wasn't using running as an excuse um, yeah. to, 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 to run away from what I needed dealing with. And that's when I, I realized that I'm, I'm very much at peace. I, I knew that I had healed, yeah. you know, from whew, well, six years ago, right? And yeah. I, I didn't need to run to do anything. Uh, and and I mean I, I I still run for the sake of running, but to to go into a race, the the next thing for me, I mean since then I've I've gone on a mountaineering expedition. Yeah. I used to do a lot of mountain trekking, yeah. but uh, I'm no more drawn into mountaineering or something with a team element. I think yeah. that's that's calling out to me now, and I think the the, the next time I would do. So the, the mountaineering aspect, you know, when we climbed the mountain in Kazakhstan, we all roped up to each other. Yeah. I just love that other people component about it. I mean, trail running is great because of the camaraderie yeah. of it. You know, I meet some amazing people. Community you know, on the, great, the community is just wonderful. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it's an individual pursuit, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I just love the whole idea of, you know, mm -hmm. all in or nothing with a group of people. And uh, I would still love to do uh, another ultra race, uh, but in the team, yeah. uh, in the team category. Right? That's one of the reasons I love uh, adventure racing mm. is because of the the team part of it. It's I, I I also find it when you're doing ultra mountains is quite frustrating because 
when you're doing just purely an ultra marathon as a team because you're so you know you're only as fast as your slowest member but it, it can be unless you are the slowest person in the team it can be a bit frustrating and uh, or, or but it, adventure racing is really an interesting dynamic because you can as you said the 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 sort of old fable if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together mm. and the great thing about like expedition adventure racing is it is far it's 500 odd kilometers and mm. you you know you need to work as a team to do that mm. but um uh, i'm really interested to like go into some sort of I suppose, quick fire questions for you. Um, and uh, first one being, what makes you emotional? What makes me emotional? People, something about people uh, that, 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 that makes me emotional and, and you know, what, what matters and what, and what matters also brings joy and also brings hurt and, and pain. I think that, that gets me emotional, um, you know, and, and I mean, my most recent cries... <laughs> <laughs> I've been on board the plane watching A Star Is Born and Bohemian Rhapsody, oh. right? Uh, and that that kind of tugged at me. The the the, the yeah the, those two movies, um, and it dealt with you know what people were going through, right? Uh, putting, hurts, having empathy, pain. putting yourself mm. in their situation. Yeah, I'm about to take a couple of long haul flights, so I will. Mm. Uh, Star Is Born and, uh, and uh, Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most inspirational book we talked about 127 hours <laughs> yeah, 127 but um, maybe hours another one as well uh, maybe another one uh, in the world of running maybe Born to Run yeah. uh, is, is, is a great you one you actually suggested that for me I mean every <laughs> seven, uh, but uh, you were the first one person that suggested that for uh-huh. me yeah yeah um my book, Runaway Success. <laughs> of course, I've got to plug that. Um, I actually book. have not read my book. Can you believe it? I've not, I've not read it in its, you know, completed in its entirety. Form, in its entirety. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, a business book. A, a business book. Um, I love um, uh, getting naked. Uh, business getting fable. Naked. Uh, it's about um, you know consultancy and how you build trust. You know how how you sell. Uh, yourself a very easy read read uh, I recommend that yeah getting naked getting I, naked I forget Who's it by? the name of the um, of, of the author now uh, that sounds right up my strata mm. so um, getting naked book mm-hmm. um, um, and favorite quotes it's by Patrick Lencioni by yes way, that's yeah. the one that's um, the one Favorite quotes? You've already given a couple, yeah, actually. Yeah, go, yeah, go far, go together. Um, um, I think this one uh, comes from my 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 trainer, my coach, uh, and and he says we always teach what we need the most. Right? And I found that to yeah. be true in terms of my focus when I'm coaching clients, and whether they're business clients or leaders or high potentials or personal people, I've I've found that they somehow that I've attracted those kind of people. And uh, we've worked on those issues where, you know, I've, I've needed the most. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like that. Yeah. I actually was having that discussion just the other day about if you want to learn something, mm. teach it. Yeah. And it enables you to really, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't understand it. Mm. So the best way to truly learn something is put yourself in an environment where you have to train other people. How absolutely, to do it. yeah, absolutely. And 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 another level of that is that if you if you want to know what you need to learn, go teach something. Because yeah, I, and I find that you know if if we were to do this podcast a year ago, five years ago, I would be talking about different things, mm. right? Uh, even though the questions are the same or the experiences mm. is based on the same experience, I would have drawn. Uh, an emphasis on focus on different things because I find you know I, I talk 
I, I talk about what I need to hear the most. Mm. Yeah, it's funny how like you, you evolve so much on a year-to-year basis, like mm. every one of us does. Some mm. of us don't. Some of us don't. Mm. And that's okay. Mm. Some of us, mm. uh, as, long as, they're happy, as long as they're happy with that. Yeah, some of us choose not to. Yeah, I, I yeah. suppose that's to the mm. point. Yeah, some of us choose not to. Mm. Uh, Favourite podcasts? Any, any podcast recommendations? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm very new to this world. Well, Endurance Asia will be my favourite one now, uh, from now. Uh, but prior to this, um, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a podcast uh, sort of person. So How do you, a, con- is it mainly reading? How do you consume reading, your content? Yeah, reading, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and books. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm still not big on, on Kindles and, and the like. I, I would go I'm all about the pages. physical as well. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. I've got a pen, I'm writing, I'm circling, I'm underlying. Yeah. I've got dog years and yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, best kit that you've bought for under 100 US. So obviously you're doing a bit more mountaineering and stuff now, mm. but... For your running, whatever, what's the best piece of equipment or kit that you've bought for wow. under 100 US? Best, best I don't know. Um, 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 powder. <laughs> powder? What kind of powder? Um, Hopefully see, not marching well, powder. No, we're in Singapore, remember? Yeah, well, we're in Singapore. We're in Singapore. <laughs> I remember when I was in the army, we'd have this. Um, it's a snake, snake, snake brand. It's like a, a cooling kind of medicated powder, and it's and it's good, you know, to be to be out there. And you don't have a chance at taking a, a proper shower, and you just you know sprinkles on his body. It just oh, it just cools you down, dries you out. Uh, is, it, is there a brand name? Yeah, I think it's a snake snake brand. Okay, yeah. and it's like just a dry shower almost. Yeah, it's a dry shower almost, right? And, and it cools you down. I, I love it. it dries <laughs> you off, cools you down. Sorry, that's the thing I think of. It's not quite a piece of kit. <laughs> no, uh, that's fine. Like, yeah. It could be like any mm. nutrition stuff. Or, mm. um, oh, 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 nutritional stuff. Um, ensure Life. Ensure Life. Oh, you know, um, when I was training, which race was it for? I think could have been uh, at Takama. I, I enlisted the help of a nutritionist. And because um, I'm not big, my body is not big on electrolytes. You know, I've tried all forms, right? The, the tablets, the powders, uh, gels and everything else. And, and my stomach just reacts, you know, to them. Either a lot of flatulence, bloatedness, you know, stomach upsets. And then my tr- nutritionist said, have you, have you tried this thing called Ensure Life? I'm like, what is it? He says, well, <laughs> I tend to use it with my hospital patients, right? You tend to use and it's a meal replacement uh, drink. Oh. I was like, huh? Well, and... What good would that be? And so for? it's just like got the all the macros. Like Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And he's and he he gave me a packet and I, I put, held it up against a packet of electrolytes and whatever electrolytes had this thing had. Yeah, as uh, well as the protein, as well as the protein and, and everything else. I thought, oh well, okay, you know, if it's yeah. good for a dying person, it's it's good for me because yeah. it feels like I'm dying out there. <laughs> um, and it worked like a treat. I mean, I love drinking milk. What's the brand so, again? Sorry? Um, ensure life. Ensure life. Yeah. And um and it's you know they come in you know vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry flavor yeah and it's a good psychological boost as well and it's yeah. a part meal replacement yeah, yeah. and it also replaces electrolytes so you know i'd have to i actually use that let's say in a in a in a, in a long day as one of my elevenses yeah. right so it's a good kind of a boost and then uh, when i get back into into the camp you know at the end of the stage that's my recovery drink there you go all right so i love that i, I yeah, recommend yeah. that so it's kind of like a protein shake but then also has all yeah, of your, yeah, yeah it's, it's a like meal a, replacement yeah. for hospital patients you know people yeah, yeah. who can't who can't take any solids, uh, but life. they can drink. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And uh, your proudest personal, so around trail running, endurance, and, uh, and, and professional moments of your life? Wow. Um. And whilst this is a quick-fire question, I know right, that's a Right, deep right, one. right, yeah. This is actually yeah. a question I always ask when I'm like, interviewing candidates to, mm. to work with and stuff. Right, well. right. It, it reveals right. a lot. 
I think my proudest, um, I think when it comes to, to, to running, I think, first of all, ha- having the courage to start in the first place at uh, what people might consider an old age, uh, to start you know, running my first marathon at 37, right? Uh, and then also um, having the courage to, to withdraw from the Tour de Jean. I think uh, that that would be my two proudest uh, moments in terms of the running. Um, the courage to start and the, the courage, courage to, to finish. finish. Like yeah, to, yeah, yeah. Courage to say yes, courage Both to say no, yeah. right? Um, and I'm proudest. Uh, I was in this business and personal development uh, program last week uh, in in Arizona in the U.S. and uh, it was one of those really, you know, intensive week, right? That you spend with with, with a bunch of people. And as we neared the end, and it was a, a stellar group of people. I mean, these were very strong, you know, business people, you know, millionaires, you know, uh, you know, highly accomplished in multiple areas in their life, just an exceptional bunch of human beings. And, you know, on, on, on the penultimate day of the, the, the training, um, the trainer said, hey, look, you know, you guys didn't know this, but uh, we'd like you to do a, a peer vote, right? Um, and we've got four different categories. First is most inspiring. Second is... Uh, most relentless. Third is the most, you know, the person who's most demonstrated. I've got this, yeah. right? And the last one is most trusted, and um, and uh, yeah, cast your votes. And you know, I I got the most trusted, uh, which matters um, a lot for me. I actually, put it on my Facebook. I say why this one matters the most is, you know, over the course of 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 life, we accumulate a lot of um, certificates and medals. Right, some certificates are for attendance in something. Some are for completion of a program. Some are for a mark, marks scored or some kind of a um, um, target that we had met. Uh, but this one, you know, there's no way you can work towards it, right? If someone said, you know, how, 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 how do I make sure that I get voted most trusted? I wouldn't even know how to begin. Uh, and to get that from a stellar group of uh, individuals and unsolicited uh, that way, uh, that, 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 that was definitely my proudest personal and also business uh, moment. That's amazing. And actually, it's quite fitting because you were the person that introduced me to the trusted advisor model, the David Meister book. And that's actually been really influential in my, in my career over the last two and a half, three years mm. since you introduced it to me. I think wow. That, yeah, that, that around building, building trust. And so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they <laughs> voted you the most trusted, Thaddeus. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, any closing remarks for audience? Any recommendations for people that are thinking of starting, or um, whether it be either a career move or setting mm. goals for their uh, mm. physical endurance side? I think um, you know one one of the biggest pain in life I find is the pain of regret, uh, and the problem with regret is that you can you can never go back and and write it, right uh, and you know, there are four ways in which you go through life, right? Um, one, if, if we look at life as, as a game that we play in life, uh, level one is, you know, not playing, right? Just letting life take you wherever it goes and just showing up. Level two is just playing, right? Where you're just doing the bare minimum just to get by. Uh, level three is playing not to lose, where you're kind of giving it, but not your all, you're just playing it safe. And then level four is playing to win. Um, the, the, the biggest regret is that you look back, and if you're not in category four or level four, you cannot fix it anymore. So 
I think my my parting shots would be don't don't put yourself in a you know in the pain of regret right uh, pain of sadness you allow yourself to go through a sadness you get out of it right pain of a bad knee you can get it fixed and get out of it a pain of regret you can't you can't get out of it so you know go out there and play play full and play to win yeah I love that Thaddeus one, one of my favorite quotes is um very simple one do it like you mean it mm. and if, if you're going to do it like go all in mm. do it properly and uh and do it to the best of your ability mate I, I it's always such a pleasure talking to you every time like we catch up i feel truly enlightened and uh, and feel that i've become like a, i've learned more become a better person in the process so look forward to having you on again look forward to hearing more about your future mountaineering stories and uh, and obviously business successes but thaddeus thank you so much for coming to join us it's been a pleasure my pleasure, Scott, and I love to be involved in whatever comes next, right? In in any any you know podcast or outside of podcast, you know, live work relationship business. Uh, yeah, the 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 pleasure is all mine. Good man, thanks very much. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hey, Mister Rick Stockfish, how's it going, sir? Yeah, good as always, Scott. How nice to see you. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. Um, what did you think of the uh, the chat there with uh, with Mr. Thaddeus Lawrence? Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? I um, yeah, just come back from a uh, couple of hours up and down Bukatima and listened to it for uh, for the first half of that. As I think quite a lot of listeners to the podcast are doing, we're hearing from them that you know the, the ultra long episodes are great because they can do some ultra long runs when they're training. Um, but no, it was really uh, really interesting and a little different from the people we've spoken to before. Um, you know, he obviously had a real drive and motivation to do it, but then kind of got it out of his system. Yeah, and uh, and isn't doing the same sort of things anymore. Has moved on to mountaineering and more casual running, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, he's. I think when we look at when we think of um, quite a few people that we've had on have sort of started their endurance journey quite late in their in their lives really and kind of like a midlife crisis and from Tom O'San um, to Andre to Thaddeus it's really like I think Thaddeus started on his uh, um, on his four deserts quest when he was 37 or so so um, but yeah it, it seems like he got that done and then I remember him posting about uh, about Tour de Jean. It sounded like he did it in a pretty harrowing year. Yeah. <laughs> I like his, his story of them like saying in Italian, like whatever clothes that you've uh, that you've packed, pack double yeah. <laughs> and wear it all. Yeah, and then that image of whatever it was, sixty or seventy of them crammed into the the refuge, yeah. and uh, you know, and still still pushing on from there, but eventually calling it a day. Yeah, I mean, and obviously he's, he's doing some uh, doing a bit of mountaineering stuff. Um, but what what I really wanted to to get him on for, as well as like the endurance side, but it's just really his his. I think he's a brilliant business coach, and he's. Uh, I actually first saw him speaking at an event. We were uh, had did a, a client event at my last company, and he came and and spoke. And actually, he was talking about he's he's crazy into skydiving. So he learned got into learned to skydive, and uh, was talking about that story. But we just started chatting about about ultra running and and, and got friends. But uh, but yeah, I think um, it's yeah, he's a bit of a legend in in Singapore on the uh, on the speaker circuit as well as. Um, uh, obviously an, an author now with um, runaway success but 
Yeah, it's good to have him on. Um, what's been uh, what's been going on um, in the uh, endurance world? I mean, it's one thing we've got a got a called out. Obviously, um, this was the really sad news that that Lloyd, Lloyd Belcher, who is probably one of the best photographers for adventure sports in Asia Pacific. He's um, you know a, f- a phenomenal um, creative photographer. Um, very sadly, his uh, his wife Gabby passed away just this past week. Um, she'd been suffering from a really bad illness, and um, they're based in um, they're based in uh, JB Johor. Um, and but they've been in Singapore. She's been in hospital in Singapore. Uh, so yeah, we're we're um, raising some um, some funds for them at the moment. Jerry Chua set up a uh, a fundraising page that's accessible on um, it's on our all of our socials on Facebook, etc. Um, but I do implore anyone to to continue to to support. They're going to be holding a memorial for for Gabby in Hong Kong on the on the twenty seventh of um, of July in a, in Wan Chai. So um, yeah, it would be good for for the community to come out and, and show their support for um for someone that's really so synonymous with um he's at all of the big races around the region and it's going to be it's going to be really um obviously he's a freelancer so he really needs all the support and, and his um young daughter Anya is looking to go to university soon as well so anything that the community can do to to come out and support them financially as well would would be I'm sure greatly received yeah, I mean, if you're not a runner as well, I you know strongly recommend you check out Lloyd's work. And Mirror is something that uh, really stands out among the things that he's done. And I know he was working on a another project around Kinabalu, which we've talked about a bit before. Yeah, I still haven't watched Mirror. Actually, I feel terrible about that. So Mirror is uh, um, an ultra athlete from from Nepal. That um, yeah, you, well, shots of fame really off yeah. the back of. Well, off the back of her talent, but also, you know, th- publicised through Lloyd. Um, so, yeah, really, really strongly recommend you check that out and uh, and, and look up that fundraising page. Yes. Um, and so other things that have been going on this weekend, they just had the, the final of the Spartan East Asia series, which Maggie was, um, that we've had on the podcast, was... It's, it's, she was neck and neck in, uh, in first spot with 804 points. And so the final race of the East Asia series was in Korea. She uh, unfortunately missed the spear throw. And so I uh, had to do 30, um, uh, 30 burpees there. And, then, and it's the only race of the East Asia series that she hasn't finished on the podium. So I um, feel a little bit gutted for her. But she still came second in the series, which is just phenomenal. And the Southeast Asia series is still going ahead. She's going to be um, down in Singapore in a... Uh, next month and then I think they've got Malaysia Philippines and a, and a few others coming up so I'm sure she will um she'll want to be able to to win that series and then get back out to Tahoe and uh, and take on the nemesis which is the world champs um yeah, and then uh 10 days from now I'm up in the up in the Philippines with JP up in Sagada, which looks what little research I've done just looks incredible as a place to go running um JP at the moment's in the middle of doing a course recce for the the Cordillera mountain biking challenge yeah, I think it's now that. in its 10th yeah. year um so you know particularly if you're if you've had enough of hearing about running on the pod um you know that that looks like just an incredible place to go mountain biking and uh it's now the longest running or longest continuous running 
mountain biking event in the Philippines, I think. Right. Yeah, and I would um I'd love to get back up there. I mean I really enjoyed the, the Cordillera race up there. Um but back on to running. We've had uh, had bad water this past weekend and and um and a Japanese guy, Ishikawa Yoshihiko um, actually got the record. Was it 21 hours? I think he beat the previous record by about an hour oh, or yeah. so. Yeah, what a phenomenal performance there. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if we're just underinformed, or there's just there's just a ton of these very very talented Japanese racers who just fly under the radar a bit in the rest of the world, but not someone I knew about before. Yeah, nor nor me. But um, but yeah, what a what an amazing performance that was. That's a Badwater is one of those races that's, uh, you know, it's got to be on on the bucket list of uh, uh, of a lot of people. It's tough to get in, but um, it's even tougher to race. The heat in that, and yeah, the and uh, he had enough left in at the end to to get on one knee and propose. So ah, oh, that's you know. right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I saw Andre actually shared a shared a picture uh, of. Um, someone with a cat of like him like throwing up at the side of the road on uh, on facebook he tells the story you know when we um on the podcast but um but yeah that's a that's a brutal race um, well yeah, i think they've 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 done a couple of the same races right like, i think this guy had also won spartathlon which was that's a race right. that andre did last year yeah andre did it for the first time last year as well so yeah it's um it's interesting to see um yeah, coming coming up to TBMBT, mate. We've um, both of our training's been a bit lacking, really, <laughs> hasn't it? Well, at least it's a level playing field. But yeah, I mean, what are we were about eight weeks out. Um, yeah, plenty still to do. I'm just sorting out my travel schedule for September as well. I think I've I've got to be in. I'm in the UK before, and then I have to fly. I'm trying straight from the UK to to Borneo to race it so that's not ideal I'm going to be like turning up jet lagged and in a um, yeah and the sleep, sleep deprivation training will help y- at least yeah but um, good stuff uh, yeah look forward to um, yeah the next podcast in a, in a couple of weeks time and yeah, I've got uh, a couple of exciting interviews coming up still yeah um, I was in Hong Kong last week and got to meet with uh, with Ryan Blair who's the the founder of the North Face Adventure Team for, for Asia Really good, um, really good story there. An amazing adventure racer in his own right, and um, yeah, so we've got that coming up in um, in August. We've got the race based team in in Hong Kong as well coming up a couple that's, of weeks time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they're um, the uh, the Nine Dragons is going to be opening up for entry in uh, in in August. So we've got um, we've got them coming on the pod to talk about running races and um, and organising races in the Hong Kong scene. So. Yeah, good stuff. Always a pleasure, Mr. Mr. Stockfish. Likewise, Scott. Okay. Talk to you again soon. Catch you soon. Bye. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad.